Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, sitting here feeling a little guilty that everybody else is out racing and having fun and training hard, although me and the Chili Dog are doing our fair share of training, but it would be nice to be hanging out with some of you. So instead, I just get to hang out with like one at a time for the podcast. So I guess I will survive until uh, July when things start uh, happening. I'm going to go to uh, Vermont with Team 4050 with Cherry and JD and Alberto and James maybe. Who else? We'll see who shows up there. They're going to be doing the uh, long trail. 170 mile long trail plus maybe 100 miles Appalachian Trail to go all the way through Vermont. So I will be there with uh, bells on and cameras and doing support and making legends out of all of them. So, and then we got Cowboy Tough Primal Quest, uh, a couple other things we're working on, Baja. So, just a few more months and I get to start to be busy. Yay me. This uh, this week's episode with Dave Ashley actually has some interesting information or some good things to know or some reasons for you to uh, go sign up to be a donor. Um, we'll put some links in the show notes about all the stuff we talk about. So you can uh, decide if you want to help somebody out also. And um, that's it think. So uh, let's just um, learn what's going on with Dave Ashley, USMES, and all that other kind of good adventure race stuff. So thanks for listening. Go fast, take chances, and hook them horns. Hello, Dave speaking. Hey, Dave. This is Randy Erickson. Hey, Randy. Right on time. No, I'm three minutes late. <laughs> but what's going on, man? I had to take the chili dog out before we got started. Yeah. So, okay. Before we start, I just have a question. Okay. So I'm sure you did a lot of studying and thinking and researching and talking to people and thinking about it, but. How did you ever make the decision to race with JD? <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I had met him for the first time uh, this last weekend. So, um, though I didn't race with him, I, I hung out with him for about uh, eleven hours of the race. Uh, but then I had to peel off. So, yeah, he's a I, he's the butt of my jokes. So, oh, uh, he's a he's a full character. That's for sure. Yeah. We've uh, people have heard this, but we've had we've had sit down meals in the middle of adventure races on four <laughs> four continents. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so that, that's there. I bet he's a fun one to interview. He, like I said, he's he's quite a funny guy. He is. He's just. Uh, I I want to do a uh, six degrees of separation from JD because I think every adventure racer in the world is with that close to somebody that's raced with him. Yeah. So, anyway, enough about him. So, who are you? Um, well, you know who I am. 
<laughs> yeah, but my tens of listeners don't. <laughs> oh, your tens, right. Okay. Well, hey, I'm David, actually, and I've uh, been adventure racing for about 10 years and also a uh, colonel in the Air Force. Which, tell me if I'm wrong, didn't you go to West Point? I did, yeah. I started off uh, in the Army, and then uh, I commissioned into the Air Force right after that, which is kind of rare, but about, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 people out of each academy switched services at graduation. Um, why? I, I, <laughs> I know this has nothing to do about adventure racing, but I'm curious. Yeah, well, that's a great question. Uh, so my wife's also my West Point classmate, and we met freshman year at West Point. And by the time junior year rolled around, we got engaged and wanted to be together. And at that time, uh, that was like 96, uh, we were looking at a life of two married officers and being at uh, training and being on pre-9-11 kind of routine deployments. We wouldn't see each other very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the Air Force said, hey, if you can switch over here, we'll send you off to get your master's degree in uh, astronautical engineering right off the bat, and then you can go off and, and work on rockets and satellites, which sounded pretty appealing. So we both decided to switch over. That's a, that, that gives me two questions. <laughs> How many classmates get married, and what do you get to do with rockets? Um, <laughs> yeah, so not too many classmates marry each other, a handful, maybe 10 uh, or so. Uh, a West Point class graduates 900 to 1,000. And it's usually anywhere from 10 to 20% women. Um, and um, I've always had fascinated with rockets, and the, the chance to do something with them in the Air Force has been great. And I've done a lot with satellites and rockets, uh, including commanded a squadron that launched the Atlas and Delta rockets down at Cape Canaveral uh, Kennedy Space Station that launched, like, our GPS satellites and stuff like that. Oh, so if I get lost, it's your fault. <laughs> You know, orienteering does seem to attract a lot of engineers. It certainly does. So, okay, what what's your average day like then being a rocket? <laughs> I'm talking to a rocket scientist. <laughs> you are, yeah. So what uh, you- Well, right now I'm at the Pentagon, so the average day is a, a lot of desk work and going to meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, before I came here, I was down at Kennedy Space Center, and the average day was maybe half in my office and maybe half outside, uh, as we're stacking rocket parts, getting ready to launch, uh, we're taking a look at uh, satellites and encapsulating them for launch, and then we're working with all our partners, uh, like the range, um, that help us successfully launch a rocket. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So do you sometimes, okay, especially when you're down there, do you sometimes come home and think, wow, that's, that's a pretty cool job I have, or is it just, does it just become a job? Oh, no. Yeah, when I was working down there, I, I had palm trees outside my office. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing rockets every day and getting to launch one uh, about every other month. Um, best job of my life. I loved it. Yeah. And then typical military, you get really good at it, and then they make you go sit in the <laughs> Pentagon, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, this summer in July, they're sending me to Los Angeles Air Force Base, so I'm going to move yet again, and I'll be uh, working on some of our – military communication satellites out there. Oh. That's stuff you probably can't talk about. Yeah, I, I can. It's A <laughs> lot of it's unclassified work, but yeah. uh, it's, it's not real interesting. It's helping uh, Lockheed Martin, who's a prime contractor for this particular satellite, uh, design, build, and, and launch, and then operate these satellites. Oh. So is that um, 
regardless, we'll, we'll get off the career part. What do you think about moving moving out there as, as an adventure racer? Because you're kind of going from where there's adventure races to where there's not any. Yeah, you know, I moved around a bit. I started adventure racing in D.C. with, uh, back then, Envy Racing, Mike Spiller and, and Mark Harris and, and the crew. And uh, I went to Omaha, and there really wasn't a lot of adventure racing, so I recruited people, developed a team, and, uh, and then I moved from there to Florida. There was a bunch more in Florida, thanks to the uh, precursor to Florida Extreme down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard the West Coast, there's not too much uh, organized adventure racing, yeah. but at the same time, some of the parks are so massive yeah. that you don't need someone to set a course up. You can just say, hey, I'll see you, you know, Sunday night, honey, and take off and uh, have a blast. Yeah, I guess that would be – that's kind of like living here in the Black Hills. We, there's there's no adventure racers. There's a few road gainers. But, you know, literally out my front door is 800,000 acres that we can go play wow. anywhere. So, um, Yeah, I just got no back people. from a bike ride playing in traffic in downtown D.C., so <laughs> big difference. Yeah, well, that's kind of adventure, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is, yeah. Yeah, so um, – so let's let, we'll talk about adventure racing and then we'll we'll talk about the secret topic. <laughs> so sure, we'll keep people. That's called a teaser, people. See, I, I I'm a professional. <laughs> so how did what was it about adventure racing? How did you get started? Why and and what was the appeal of it? Well, it was really recruiting by um, Mike Spiller uh, with uh, the Rev Three now eventually Naval Squad, but I was out doing. Uh, trail run and uh, he chatted with me afterward about hey we're, we have this local team we train together and we do these things and i didn't think much of it and then the first race i did was um uh boy a local race i did it with my wife and, and my best friend at the time mm-hmm. and my best friend threw up my wife wouldn't speak to me we flipped <laughs> over in our canoe we got lost uh we finally finished and it was a train wreck but I loved it. And I was like, that was the best thing ever. And they were like, you have got to be insane. <laughs> um, so I got the bug at that point. And then I went back and saw Mike. And uh, the next year I came back and uh, won that race. And so uh, I was hooked. You know, having a, people that teach you the ropes at the beginning is so helpful and to borrow equipment from and stuff like that. So, so you're, at the, the Rocky Gap Adventure Race, that's the race. That's the race, yeah. So you're kind of um, – Kind of going to be full circle this year. Started out with Rev Three and going to be worlds with Adventure Enablers. Yeah, in fact, I, I had been planning on going with them, and this is kind of a typical race drama story. Um, my sponsor team this year is U.S. Military Endurance Sports, mm-hmm. um, and we were told we weren't going to get a spot. Uh, we were on the waiting list, but we'd, we'd probably never get in. And so we had a, a, a talk and said, "Okay, hey." Should we, you know, look at other options? And we decided to. So Fritz uh, reached out to me with Adventure Enablers, and I was thrilled to get a chance to race with him and Molly. Um, then it turns out a couple of weeks later, something changed. We did get a spot. And, uh, again, my commitment is to my military team this year. And so Fritz and, and Molly understood that I needed to switch back over. So I am racing with the U.S. Military Endurance Sports which, um, for AR World Series. Yeah, which is you and J.D. and... And Tamala and I believe Doug uh, Kreitzer uh, or Ron Flick. I'm not quite sure on the fourth person, okay. but I think that it depends on schedules. Yeah, that's so the... we're we're going to go out there to be official finishers and have a good time. 
Uh, and for me to learn a lot from, you know, a couple of very experienced uh, expedition racers like Tamla and JD yeah. and Doug, if he joins us. Yeah. Well, Ron's, Ron's getting there. He's, he's had his picture Oh, yeah. Taken. He's been doing it for a couple of years now, three or four years. Yeah. So he's definitely gaining experience quickly. So what um, – what, oh, I love this question. What do you need to learn? So uh, the longest race I've done is uh, three and a half to four days, kind of that range. Mm-hmm. I've done a handful. Um, I've done many 24-hour races. I don't know, maybe 30, 40. Um, but I've not broken into that six, seven-day range race. And mm-hmm. so I don't quite know what to expect. Um, part of my reason for hanging out with the USMES team this last weekend at the breakdown, uh, which was a four-day, was to kind of get a feel for um, what kind of things they did to prevent chafing and blisters and hydrate and salt and food uh, for the longer events. Yeah. So, and what did you learn? <laughs> uh, flip-flops in the gear bin is awesome. That was something that uh, Untamed uh, shared with me. Uh, certainly switching quickly to whole food uh early in the race um pacing very important uh to not go off as fast as i would think of of like a 48 hour race but uh, to really kind of hold back because uh, you need that at the end that kind of power and then the sleep or you know racing a three-day race like the c to c i can go with about an hour of sleep yeah. but that's just a fail recipe <laughs> for a five to six seven day race so uh sleeping early sleeping uh, the right amount um it critical yeah. from what I picked up this weekend. Right. Can I give you a tip? What's that? Can I give you a tip? Oh, please. I'm, I'm um, up for learning. Kyle, Peter, literally the first thing he does when he goes into TA is he strips down and puts a towel on to, to air everything <laughs> so just out. takes it all off. Yep. So, so, and it makes sense. And you just, you know, get, get whatever you're wearing off you. And, it, uh, it it seems yeah, like that's good. a little step further than what Alex was suggesting from uh, Untamed about getting your shoes and socks off and getting those flip flops on. You let the feet start drying out, yeah. but I can see your your whole body doing that. Yeah, and then I have another tip from Kyle, but I'll tell you that somewhere along the trail, it's it's a little right, little not safe for work. <laughs> okay, so um, so what was your background? I mean, you said you met those guys. Mark and those guys trail running. So, did you have a, a athletic background? Yeah, I was um, a soccer player mostly, mm-hmm. uh, so a bit of a runner. And uh, since I had been stationed in the military, I picked up mountain biking and road biking. Okay. And really, that's about it—just some light trail running, but mostly biking. And uh, when I ran into those guys, I was doing a couple of those uh, mountain bike and, and trail run races in, in Northern Virginia, the EX2 series puts on like backyard burn uh and stuff like that so nothing more than uh like 10k uh for running and, and maybe like 20 miles for mountain biking and i do you know occasional century ride on, on a road bike and i thought yeah. that was a real long bike ride yeah so what was it after that first how did you how did you know that it, it was for you if you if you if you understand what yeah I'm you know i'd done a couple of triathlons i'd done a marathon those definitely were not for me mm-hmm. because you didn't really so in, in my mind and no offense to triathletes or marathoners but you don't have to really use your brain yeah. you just follow the arrows you make sure you're watching your pace your hydration and you're eating and that's it but with an adventure race all of a sudden strategy 
uh, could beat athleticism. And a person who's good at a map, who's experienced enough to know when to bushwhack, when to stay on the trail, when to take some risk in navigation, can come out and, and, and win you a race when you're not as fast as some other competitors. And you're, you're engaged in thinking the whole time. Uh, to me, that's the part that's really got me. I, I love the navigation and the strategy aspect. So um, do you know how to navigate? Well, I, I'd say yes, but, you know, I've seen some fantastic <laughs> navigators in this sport, so I wouldn't put myself in, in that class. But I do orienteering uh, meets, and, and I typically uh, do the lead nav roll when I race. Okay. So that's a, that's a yes. Yeah. So teamwork is such such an important part of the race. Um, and, so, and some people, uh, i.e., see my wife, really has a hard time with the teamwork aspect. But uh-huh. okay, so you're military and you were a soccer player, team sport. Yep. Which which one of those two made you a better team player? Uh, I think the military for sure. Yeah. And you know, a West Point background where they teach you really small squad tactics. When mm-hmm. you graduate the academy, you kind of have a a degree in how to lead a small team. Hmm. So that makes that actually makes a lot of sense right there. So have you ever been in an adventure race and said, hey, wait, I learned something at West Point that will help us right now? Well, I learned how to orienteer at West Point, so okay. uh, that was that was important. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that I'd, I'd have like an aha moment in a race, but definitely some of the basic leadership skills about uh, motivating people uh, past um, where mentally they, they want to quit mm-hmm. um, and trying to trying to keep people – from um, having too much drama is a nice way to put it, yeah. um, and then focus on the mission and not focus on some of the distractions that can happen in a race. So, so you know, the focus part of it. How do you know if you're if you're leading a team or a squad how to how to motivate? How do you, how do you know when when to use a carrot and when to use a stick? Yeah, but the personality and situation dependent. Yeah. Uh, some people, if you if you do uh, entice them with something, as you say, use a use a carrot. You know that is a motivating factor. But with some personalities, you know they, they don't care. Um, and uh, maybe maybe raising your voice might work, or maybe saying, "Hey, uh, it, we're going to really be pay, paying for something later if we don't get this done right now. We'll be successful." But some people are, are a little bit tender, and if you do that, you're going to have the opposite effect. So it's it's very dependent on the people. And the, the better you know them, the more you train together, the yeah. more you race together, uh, the more successful you are. Yeah. Which, which, which kind of person would you rather race with, somebody that needs encouragement or somebody that needs a little uh, yelling at once in a while? <laughs> and I don't know why well, that's a question, take- but I <laughs> – that that's a loaded question, and uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be an honest answer. And, and I tend to get a little bit snippy uh, in a race, and I've seen other racers uh, with that tendency too. Um, and people that that can kind of have a thick skin and know that once the race is over, it's not personal. Yeah. Um, that works well with me. Uh, people that that do get really upset uh, when you raise your voice, like my daughter, uh, would not be a good race companion for me. And, and we've raced together as a family, and even though we did very well. Uh, they weren't real excited about uh, the idea of doing it again. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, know your audience, right? Yes, definitely know your audience. So, 
it, it, I mean, and obviously that's very important that you communicate and let people know that, okay, you know, I'm, I might be a jerk here for a couple of days, but when we get done, I, I promise I won't be. Yeah, and if your goal is to, to, you know, do well shooting for the podium or a win, I think that's an acceptable way to do business. But if you're out there just to have a good time, mm. you're probably not on the right team if, if that's the tactic you're trying to use. Yeah. So winning in podiums and talking about that, what what do you personally consider a good race? Do you have to win? Do you have to podium? or No, is it, is clean it, navigation. That, yeah, that's a... But if you do clean navigation, you usually do pretty well, right? Yeah, you usually do. Uh, some races, the navigation might not be quite so technical, so you'll encounter teams that are just fast. Yeah. Um, and, and even if you're clean, you just can't touch them. But in most races, if you can keep your nav clean, you're going to make mistakes, but catch them early, minimize them. Um, you're you're going to be in, in the top, especially if you stay and, and clear the course within the time you have available. Yeah. So when you go to a race... And, you know, you know people there. You kind of know where you're going to, you know, feel where you might finish. Do you do you, do you race the course or do you race other teams? Do you, you know, like kind of maybe look at them, what they're doing, or, or do you just do what you got to do? Well, I'd love to say I just do what I have to do. I think that's the right mentality. Yeah. But you can't ignore what you see other teams doing, some different tactics or strategies mm-hmm. they're using. Um what I, what I really don't like is in the beginning of the race when there's like a bunch of teams kind of following. Yeah. That mentality almost always yeah. messes you up. So you definitely want to be racing your own race, especially at that point. Yeah. I'll be right there. Okay. My phone rang. Are we still here? Yes. Okay. Because some, sometimes when uh, – because I have to use my phone as a hot spot. So sometimes when it rings, I lose signal, but I didn't. Yay! So <laughs> still here. Good. Um, okay, racing. Uh, and then see, I get inter- interrupted with my flow of thought. So, um, <laughs> well, let's let's move on because you know how ADD I am to kind of kind of why you reached out to me to. Uh, Maybe get your story out and and uh, get some other people motivated, so to speak. So, with you, with yeah, your, with your um, donation. Sure. Let you, you tell the story, and then I'll start asking stupid questions. <laughs> Sounds fine. Um, so, what you're referring to is uh, started about um, July of last year, um, and I mentioned that you know I'm from West Point. And uh, I keep in touch with my classmates. Uh, we have a Facebook uh, secret site that uh, many of us are belong to that are on Facebook. And someone had mentioned uh, that there was a classmate who's been sick since uh, November of 2015, so for about six, seven months at that point, uh, with some kind of a kidney problem. Mm. And uh, he'd come close to dying uh, twice. Uh, once when he initially found out about uh, the disease was when he was hospitalized and was they thought you know within uh, hours to a day away of, of not making it uh, and then again when he had uh, doing the dialysis he got a blood infection uh, and he was hospitalized for two weeks um, for that uh, but they were looking for people that were interested in screening for donating 
because uh, his family, the ones who were medically able to do it, weren't good matches. And so he was running out of options, a wait for a, a kidney that varies by state, which I've found out later, but can take up to six to seven years. Wow. And uh, for most people on dialysis with end-stage renal failure, which is the technical term for what he had, um, most of them don't live six to seven years on dialysis, and it's a pretty rough life uh, when you are. Yeah. So that's kind of the background. I saw this post in July, someone in our class saying, hey, um, classmate's sick. If you're healthy and you're interested in donating, um, call this phone number, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. So, okay. So I, I saw that. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's like a bone marrow donation. You, mm. you know, you put in your name and the odds of a match are, are really, really low. Yeah. Um, but you never know. So I, I put my name in and uh, started the process um, through the fall of doing tests and sending the results in to the hospital up there and continuing further to more tests, to more tests, and um, got to the point where I was the only person left in the screening that was still screening successfully hmm. uh, and uh, made the decision to give him one of my kidneys. That's, um, so that's cool. kind of the short story. Yeah. <laughs> so here's, all right, here's stupid question number one. Go. Would you have even thought about it or considered it if it hadn't been a classmate? As, as opposed know. to like just somebody on Facebook says, hey, my cousin needs a kidney. You know, I, I, I can't answer the question um, yeah. truthfully because I really don't know. But I, I would say everybody has a certain level of connection they're comfortable with mm -hmm. before they're willing to do something like that. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people have asked me how close I was to my friend Chris. And he and I weren't real close at West Point. We knew of each other. Yeah. Uh, and to some people, that, that's already well past their comfort zone. Um, some people will donate to a total stranger. Um, so that's like on the very far end. And then some people would reserve that decision for their spouse, their child, or a close family member. So I think there's a spectrum of what people are, are comfortable doing something like that for. Well, yeah, it makes sense. It's yeah, and, and really, who knows until you get to that point. But, but. Yeah, right. So, I, you know, that situation didn't happen to me where someone on Facebook I didn't know well mentioned something, and, and so I really couldn't give you an honest answer. Yeah. But I, I here's what I'm going to say. It's like I have, yeah, I have no connection with this, this person. It's like I wouldn't even think twice about I I wouldn't even think about it, right? But you have a – Yeah, that would be very tough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to think about, but some people do. Yeah, well, they're they're better than I am, and they're maybe not. They're not better. They're just different. They're just different. Uh, nah, I know me. They're better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what? What does it involve? You know, okay, it's surgery, but anything that the donate don donor has to do beforehand. You have to get, yeah. So get I mean, taking it from like a like an adventure racing perspective, yeah. right? If if I was another racer hearing this and saying, I know someone in, you know who's a family member or or within your spectrum of comfort that you'd be willing to do something like this for, um, they they do look for specific things. Uh, there's a tissue typing and blood typing that has to be compatible to the recipient. Mm -hmm. I don't know the technical details behind that, but mm -hmm. you have to match that. Yeah. Um, there, you also can't have any history of uh, kidney problems uh, in, on your family. 
um, that would suggest that if you did lose a kidney, you would have a, a higher risk mm-hmm. of having some kind of an issue with your remaining kidney later on in your life. So diabetes, uh, any kind of kidney issues, and also um, cardiovascular problems as well. Um, they, those are, they screen for those and, and could potentially prohibit you from donating. Yeah. But uh, a young, fit, adventure racer, you they were probably like, yeah, yeah, give us, give it, give it. Well, at, at 42, I'll take the word young anytime I can get it. Thank yeah. you, Randy. Well, you know, <laughs> compared to me, you're all young. <laughs> but, yes, very, very fit. Uh, I think that helps tremendously, not only with the quality of, of honestly, the kidney, uh, but also um, the donor's recovery. Uh, mm-hmm. And so far, my recovery has been going extremely well. Yeah. So go up in the hospital a few days and then – so what what do they tell you to do after they kick you out of the hospital? Yeah, so the surgery uh, happens uh, over a couple of hours, and then you're in the hospital for, for two or three days um, on some pretty heavy pain medication. <laughs> uh, and then they, they send you home, and you basically are on a lay down and, and minimal walking, kind of uh, no lifting anything at all for about three weeks. Uh, I watched a lot of TV and played some computer games and chatted with folks online, and I got some visits by family members and some uh, local racers uh, like uh, uh, Britt Mason and, and Dusty came by uh, with some puzzles and stuff. Um, so about a, about a month of really not working and not doing anything. And then you're allowed to go back to work if you have like a desk job, which I do fortunately. Mm. Uh, but there's a no lifting restriction, five pounds or more, push-pull lift for about three months because it's that um, – abdominal surgery part that takes a while to heal um they said i could do running and biking as as i could tolerate it which honestly it hasn't been very well Mm -hmm. so i really haven't done much for say the first two months and it's only now i'm I'm three months in a day from surgery that i've been feeling more comfortable biking uh running on an elliptical machine and even going outside and doing some running now yeah so it's it's really the it's the cutting you open. It's not taking the kidney that you have to recover from. Yeah, the, the cutting you open is a, is a hard part yeah. at first. Um, the removal of the kidney, with two kidneys, your body has, has way more than enough. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're, if they're healthy, you're in great shape. Yeah. It, your body's designed to be able to lose one and still be okay. And, and what I've been told is uh, uh, a fair number of people, it's like one out of 100 or one out of 1,000 are born without a kidney. Most don't even know it until they they do some kind of a scan and find out later in life. Because yeah. one, one will do the job just fine. But yeah. it takes some period of time when you lose one for that remaining one to pick up the load. It actually uh, enlarges a little bit and gets you up to about 80 to 90% of the efficiency you had with two. But that takes about a year. And so you'll be a little bit more tired, uh, and that was especially the first month or two, uh, but up to about a year till you're, you're at really full capacity again. Okay. Uh, um, stupid question number two, and then we'll get serious. Are there any good you only have one kidney jokes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I've heard a lot of jokes about uh, you know going to Mexico and waking up with a bathtub full of ice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you went to Boston, right? Same, about the same yeah, as Mexico. Yeah, I was in Boston. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, like, so any dietary restrictions? I mean, here's here's the question, the dumb question. And I'm, can you drink beer? Yes, yes, no problem <laughs> yeah. drinking beer. Um, 
Good question about the diet. Yeah. Uh, you can't take any uh, NSAIDs, which is like uh, Motrin mm-hmm. and, and, and some other common drugs that you would use to treat swelling or pain. Yeah. Uh, so I know that's a big uh, medication a lot of folks take in a race. Yeah. I'm limited to aspirin when it comes to pain medication uh, because those other medications are actually bad for your kidneys. And, I mean, hey, if, if it was me and I was out dehydrated in a long race, I wouldn't be popping Motrin. I'd be popping something else like aspirin. Yeah because uh, that's really not good for your kidneys. Um, and then you're not supposed to eat too much uh, high protein at once, like avoid protein shakes um, and eating just like an all-protein kind of meal, because, again, that's hard on your kidneys when you do that. And mm-hmm. so you're just trying to treat your kidneys a, a little better. Um, combine that with drinking a lot more fluids. Uh, you never want to be real dehydrated. And so from an adventure racing perspective, that's the one that – uh, I really um, am going to have to be aware of, yeah. uh, and my team's going to have to be aware of. Is like we can't run into an issue where we're we're all all of us are like out of water. Um, that's a critical issue for me. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if there's any. Yeah, I mean it's bad for for everybody, but it's just going to be right bad badder for you. See, that's my good English there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little a little worse for me. It's still not critical, yeah. uh, but that just increases the chance of of me having some kind of a uh, an issue with the remaining kidney. Yeah. Um, but you know, you don't you don't have to take any drugs because you're not getting anything into you, put into nope. you. So, um, so how long before Chris is the normal for? I don't know if there's a better word. So a recipient, yeah, so, how long uh, does it take them? Right. He's got the same uh, abdominal uh, surgery uh, recovery from me, and, and our surgeries are slightly different. He has a, he has a longer single incision, um, and I have a smaller one just the size of the kidney to remove and a couple of small ones above that. Uh, it's a procedure called laparoscopic where they use those smaller incisions to, to insert the instruments. Um, more technical detail than you need, but so so he's got this similar abdominal recovery. Uh, he also has to take anti-rejection medication for the rest of his life, and so there's a, a time period of about six months post-surgery where the highest risk of rejection um, is kind of that time frame, and, and he's in the middle of that right now, uh, but doing real well. And the real prognosis will be in another three months when he's through that as his body found uh, the right level of the anti-rejection medication that he can live with a kidney but not make himself um, sick very easily by getting some other colds or flus or things like that since since the medication does weaken him a little bit. Um, And I don't know this, but was he still in the military? And if so, can he stay in? Uh, So he's not in the military. Uh, He got out after, I think, his five-year initial commitment. He works in New York City uh, for a large um, financial company. It's uh, like Chase or one of those companies. So what, so do you know this answer? If you were in the military, could you stay in? Um, I think as a kidney recipient, probably not. They'd probably medical board you when you had whatever kidney disease that he has that got him on dialysis. Mm -hmm. They'd probably board you out. Um, In my case, the Department of Defense regulation that governs bone marrow and, and organ donation starts off by saying the DOD highly recommends and encourages 
uh, its members to to volunteer and, and donate. Mm. Uh, and so it's a very supportive document, and I found my supervisor at work, my coworkers, and my, my chain of command all the way up to the, the senior officers have all been very supportive. Yeah, that's, that's kind of funny. I didn't even think about that because – you only have one. Do you, do you get to stay in? But yeah, I, I had to get permission from the Surgeon General of the Air Force, and uh, uh, but uh, since everything went well, I, I'm able to stay in, and, and ultimately there's no restrictions uh, as far as deploying or or physical activity uh, at all for me in the military. Yeah. Well, that's cool that they're uh, they're into that, yeah, so to speak. So, do you? Worry that you have only have one. Um, I don't know what the long term implications will be, yeah. but everybody I've talked to uh, from the medical side about what kind of side effects there are, um, the data that they have shows that there's really no long term risks. It's getting through the first couple of months post surgery, yeah. uh, and I'm really through the worst of that now. Uh, so, no, I, I really don't. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, what what are you going to do? You gave it away, you can't take it back, right? So you... <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Now, now, post-surgery, had you asked me that, it would be a different answer <laughs> because occasionally some donors do die in the procedure. And, yeah. you know, I had a plan for, you know, what my family was going to have. And, you know, I, I had a couple of nightmares about it. I mean, it, it's real well, uh, yeah, when you're getting ready to go in yeah. to that or, operation room. Yeah, it's major, major-ass surgery. Yeah. So. And, and it's in a hospital, and everybody knows that those places are no good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, that's pretty cool. I mean, you're, you're the only person I know of that uh, that I know that I know only has one kidney, so you're special. <laughs> so, Sweet. Although my dad was on dialysis for years, and he just, of course, being retired, he it was what he did during the day, you know, it's... That's what yeah, and you know how tough that is to do that. Yeah, you know, but for him it was like, yeah, you get up, go down there, get plugged in, and sleep for another three hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, all right, let's go back to adventure adventure racing, something something light and nobody cares about. <laughs> so um, what's I'm, I'm going to ask my question. What's the best and worst six hours you ever had adventure racing? Oh, man, uh, the worst, definitely a Ronnie Odyssey adventure racing race. Uh, man, one of my first 24-hour races, I, I did one with a team, and then I tried one as a soloist, mm-hmm. and I got about four hours in, and I was doing great. I was winning. It was a hot day, and and uh, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, right? I was going way too fast. <laughs> and about two hours later, I'm laying down on the side of some road in West Virginia, like completely white, out of water, uh, teams just whizzing by me, um, you know, getting the, hey, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, after finally recovering my wits, um, with Ronnie's races, you ha- you can't quit on course unless you're medically injured. You have to get yourself back to the start-finish area. And so I did the bike of shame um, in the middle of the night back to the finish area. So that was that memory stays with me every time in a race when I'm feeling like uh, maybe I can't do it. I think about that and I'm like, I'm not doing the bike of shame again. <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, best six minutes. Um, yeah, we're going to get to this here, but the Rev Three Epic, or now the eventual neighbors Epic. Yeah. Uh, I was with a, a four-person Rev Three team a couple years back, and 
and uh, everything clicked. The navigation was clean, and we ended up first place in that race against some really quality teams. And that was one of my my finest moments as a racer. That's that's always a good good moment when you can can win, right? Oh yeah, and it was a, a wet, rainy course, and everybody's out there. The layout was such that you didn't know where other teams were mm. until you got to the finish line. Uh, and we rolled in and found out we were we were the top team, and that was wonderful. Sweet. For you personally, do you like a fast race or a hard race? I like a, a race with tough nav, uh, and that can be fast or hard. Um, but challenging navigation, that's my favorite. Um, just Okay. Are there is there something and I'm not going to ask you what, but is there something that your adventure race teammates know about you that your wife doesn't? Boy, we've been married for <laughs> almost 20 years and together for about 24, so I don't think so. Uh, other than the way I smell after a couple of days, because yeah. I, I don't I don't see Diane at the finish line uh, <laughs> until I take a shower. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. I you know some people are like. Yes, there is. So, <laughs> um, so you know, obviously, your your focus this year is, is Cowboy Tough and Worlds. Are you racing? Are you racing anything before that? Or are you going to get together with a team? Or kind of what's your schedule? Yeah, I, I did a short race about two weeks ago. Uh, Break the habit by um, a local race producer here, uh, which was an eight hour. Um, and that felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. Last weekend, I went down to the breakdown expedition and, and did about 12 hours of trekking with the U.S. military endurance sports team and, and had a blast and felt pretty good after that as well. Uh, and then uh, in a week and a half, uh, I'm racing the Rev3 Epic 26-hour, which is one of my favorite races, mm-hmm. and they're moving south to some new terrain this year, so it should really be cool. And I'm doing that with a military uh, friend who's now retired, Rory Welch, uh, who's on the Adventure Enablers team. Uh, and so that's kind of my litmus test to see if I'm healed enough yet to really start increasing my training load to get ready for AR World Series because that race is in August. That's going to be coming up really quick, and it's time to start getting some long gravel grinding rides in and uh, long treks with a heavy pack on. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's 119 days from when we're recording this. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> so, I I got in this habit of doing videos every 10 days before I go to races. And it's like, so I know. <laughs> but, um, what do you want to take away from going to Worlds? What, one well, as a, one as a team and one as for you. I think for our team, we certainly want to get the U.S. military endurance sports name out there. Um, we think there's a lot of folks that are military members uh, or veterans that race but may not know about the club. And the club's got a lot of benefits for the members, uh, fantastic sponsorship discounts, uh, race reimbursement for race entry fees. Uh, and then we're even forming up a, a, a kind of a racing team this year um, where we get a little bit more sponsorship and target some of the big races like World Series, like the Breakdown, mm-hmm. uh, where we can get some of the top racers from the club together. Um, so from a team level, looking for that. From from my my own individual level, I already mentioned earlier in the in the podcast about experiencing that longer race. I, I don't know if that's something I'm going to like, and maybe I want to do more AR World Series races 
um, in the future, or maybe I want to stick more to the 24 or 48 hour, which I'm, I'm very comfortable with and I've done a lot of. Yeah. So I'm going to try to hopefully figure that out. But I know Wyoming is going to be hot and windy and, and big <laughs> hills too. So not my favorite kind of terrain for a race. Yeah, it's it's uh, trust me, it's almost identical to Virginia in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the U.S. military team, who's who's eligible for the team? Do you have to be currently in the military, or who can race? With you. Yeah, so the, the team is uh, limited to uh, men and women who either are or have been uh, serving in the U.S. military uh, and Coast Guard. Uh, and that can be on active duty. It can be in the reserve of the Guard uh, or veterans, people who have served. Uh, and just recently they opened up the club to uh, dependents uh, as well. So uh, spouses, uh, family members um, can race with the club uh, as well. Yeah. And you guys – just I, you know, I know a little bit about the team and some stuff, but there's a lot. And, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's a big emphasis on triathlon with with the team. Yeah, I think the club started, and I don't know this history directly, just kind of a hearsay, more as a uh, endurance cycling and running club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the more recent years, they've added adventure racing to that. And Ron Flick's really been. Uh, the impetus behind that uh, as our club manager for adventure racing for a couple of years now with the USMES. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to grow it in the in the uh, USMES overall club, but you're right. It, it is right now a lot of cyclists and runners and triathletes. Yeah. yeah, but I yeah I've had a few conversations with Ron about yeah trying to trying to get more of you guys into it. So um, yeah, I it mean, seems like a natural fit because if you're going downrange uh, into hostile territory, uh, being able to experience an adventure race and see what, how you react under stress when you're tired and all your, your nice personality stripped away and the real bear you uh, is, is showing. Having, having to do that when no one's shooting at you is a great opportunity to prepare you for when they are. Yeah. Well, I always tell the story when Paulette did Primal Quest Badlands, she, she hooked up with it. Marine team a week before the race, literally seven uh-huh. days, and uh, one of them was uh, Tosh Brian Contosh, which a lot uh-huh. of people know, and the other two uh, Tillman and John had literally had never raced, and they did okay. They didn't finish, but I always say, if anybody on that course had been shooting at them, they would have won. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, keep that in mind, people. It can't hurt to have the military with you. Yeah. Well, and certainly uh, the standard is almost everybody's trained in their basic combat first aid. So yeah. uh, I feel very safe in a military team that if I do have an injury, uh, I'll, I'll be stabilized until the uh, expert medical attention can, can get there. Yeah, uh, a bonus. Didn't even think of. Um, so I'm going to start wrapping this up, and everybody knows it takes me forever because I have a dog that wants to go for a hike. But I just started asking this question of people and it's a it's a bucket list question so forgive me but you get to do one more race in your lifetime and you get to pick three teammates um but you can't pick anybody that you've ever raced with so where do you want to go and who do you want on your team well the easy question is where i've always wanted to go to and race in new zealand yeah 
uh, a, a lot of people consider it the home of adventure racing and the the videos I've seen and the stories I've heard of people who've raced out there are really epic. That's a good choice. I think that's uh, like batting a thousand percent. That's just something I'm going to have to do. That's not a bucket list. Yeah. That's just a do. Yeah. Um, and then race with. Honestly, I would I would love uh, if my uh, daughters. Um, I have two daughters, mm-hmm. uh, and my wife likes the sport, and you know we're capable and experienced enough to do a race like that. That to me, that would be the dream squad. But I. I don't race with my wife. I did that once, <laughs> and that was plenty. Just like uh, playing golf, you know, with your spouse, you just have to be real careful when you do it. Yeah. Um, and same with my daughters; they they just have other passions. They're they're both into science, technology, uh, engineering, and math, um, and not real big into sweating and dirt and pain. Uh, the yeah. typical things you'll find on an adventure racing course. Yeah. Well, see, but they're not eligible because you already raced with them. Oh well, that's true. Now, yeah. technically, you're right, but. <laughs> So that's a good answer. I'll 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 accept that as an answer. All right, I appreciate that, Randy. So, um, do you have a talisman mojo, or just something that you have to take with you to a race? I wouldn't say have to, but I do have a Primal Quest necklace that I bought, uh, like back in two thousand and four or five when I first decided, hey, I want to do this, and, and Primal Quest was still going on, and that was kind of like my mantra of, I want to eventually get to one of those. Yeah. Uh, and so I bought it, and uh, I've had it ever since, and I wear it when I train, and I uh, wear it almost every time I race. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. So, Well, yeah. and you know, Primal Quest is making a return, so, you know, yeah. you can, you know, that will probably be every two years, so let's see, you can go to God Zone next year, go to Primal Quest and yeah, I get a whole team for you. Um, yeah, you know, making this list of things I'm going to do when I retire from the military because finding that much time when you're active duty uh, is real challenging. Luckily, Worlds is in the U.S. this year, so yeah. I was able to get 10 to 11 days off, but uh, going overseas is really tough. That, well, yeah, that's that's true because it, it's funny. There's so many adventure racers that we have no idea what they do. It's like, does anybody have a real job? <laughs> that can can do this i mean honestly if i didn't do what i did you know work for myself by myself i couldn't be gone all the time but um so that is probably a real hassle for you yeah it's it's a limiting factor a little bit uh, i'm i'm restricted like when i was working with rockets when there was a launch coming up i i couldn't go and mm-hmm. i'd have to drop out of races i haven't been to a usara nationals in several years because the timing with my work just hasn't allowed me to Okay. All right. I think this might be the last question, and it's guess what? It's, it has nothing to do with adventure racing. Um, what's the future of private space travel rockets? Uh, real bright. There's a lot of companies that want to put things up in space right now, mm-hmm. and so that means uh, the potential for companies to help them transport their satellites into space is, is very bright. And so you've got companies like SpaceX, like uh, Blue Origin, uh, and many others that are looking at technologies such as reusable boosters or boosters that launch off of an airplane, uh, ways to make it less expensive so launch cost isn't quite the barrier mm-hmm. it has been in the past, and that it's a lot more reliable so you don't have the high insurance cost for a satellite that we've also had in the past. So, oh, See, now that... I never knew that. You buy insurance for your satellite. Absolutely. Huh. So it's what's not cheap. Yeah. 
what's the what's the thing out there in rockets as a general term that's kind of the most bizarre but actually maybe makes the most sense <laughs> huh? how's that for a dumb question yeah so uh, easy answer i think when a rocket is ignited it actually weighs too much to launch and and you actually have to burn off some of the fuel so you're light enough to actually lift off the ground. Most people don't know that. No. And you're basically accelerating by throwing stuff out the backside of the rocket at a very, very fast rate. And the higher you get up in the air, the less and less of that stuff you have inside, so the lighter you are, so you accelerate extremely rapidly. Mm-hmm. And you, you look at rocket science from a very basic level, that's exactly what you're doing. You're too heavy to start with. You've got to start throwing stuff out the back. Eventually, you reach a point where you're light enough now because you've been throwing stuff really fast behind you. You start taking off, and then you just get faster and faster and faster because you're getting lighter the whole time. Hmm. That part I understand, but, yeah, being too heavy to take off. Um, why? What was it growing up that made you want to be a rocket scientist? I love saying that, Yeah, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I still remember being in school when the Challenger accident happened. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was that or the um, engineering side of it, like it's extremely difficult to get something with so many moving parts to work with a high reliability mm-hmm. without, and, and with a rocket, when you have a mistake, it's catastrophic typically. Yeah. And when it's, with a satellite, when you have a mistake, you can't go to the repair shop and fix it. You know, it's up in orbit. So <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you better have designed it really, really well. And I've always been fascinated with, with high reliability designing. So. This is okay. You know what I said. This is something that. Yep. I, I mean, I love engineering. I love reading about how things are put together. And I've actually been on a rocket reading thing. I find it so amazing that literally everything you look at where I'm sitting right now, other than well, maybe the desk I made, somebody had to design that. I mean, everything from the from a cap on a pen to the computer and it's like i love those people yeah go so, go hug an engineer all right well, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a big hug next time i see you then so uh thanks <laughs> <laughs> maybe huh if you don't smell too bad okay this is really literally the last question so after you all retire right. can you uh fund your adventure racing by consulting on rockets yeah, that's certainly an option. Uh, I know several retired military officers that now work for Elon Musk with SpaceX or other uh, rocket companies. Uh, United Launch Alliance is another one. So I could do uh, part-time uh, work and make enough money, I think, to race as much as my body can handle. Sounds like a sweet life to me. Yeah, it does. So um, Cool. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you reached out. This has been fun, even though we hardly talked about adventure racing, but... Yeah, I, I like other things too. <laughs> so. Well, you're a great conversationalist, Randy, and I appreciate the opportunity to to, to share some of this. Uh, uh, I haven't shared with uh, the local media where I live, and I haven't shared it with the the Air Force uh, media either. I didn't feel comfortable in those groups, but I feel comfortable in the adventure racing groups to talk about this. So, well, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Yeah. You know, that's that's my joke is you can. You can hook up with another team on course, and you've never met them in your life, and within 15 minutes, you're telling the most filthy stories you know to each other <laughs> so i don't know if that's good or bad but it's just the way it is 
So, all right. Well, that's probably it's getting late where you are. It's really nice right here, so we're going to go for a hike. All right. Well, enjoy your hike. And thanks right. again. Thanks for the conversation. All right. Bye, Reddy. Bye. Next tune we dedicated to brave people in space, whatever they're doing there right now. This tune is called Rocket Man, Bebop, Alula. <laughs> Looking at Earth through telescope, my spaceship is clean, and I love my job. Music of space crawls in my ear. I'm dreaming of girls and six pack of beer. I'm a rocket man, be popular. I am a rocket man, sha la 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 la. I am a rocket man, be popular. I am a rocket man, sha la 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 la. Saturday night, they just fly. Monday morning, nobody's here, I'm lonely and horny, voices of stars turning me on, I want to make love, it's time to fly home. Yeah, man.